بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala We seek blessings in the Prophet, peace be upon him So we are still looking at the first surah uh, of, of the Quran And we're in the latter part of it And so just to recap very, very briefly What is this surah overall? This is a prayer from us to God and it is a prayer for guidance. And the first half of the surah is all about God, but not just that, but who is God to us? Who is Allah to us? Uh, we had even the very first steps for developing a relationship with Allah, which is Bismillah, in the name of Allah, which is to get to know who Allah is by way of his names and attributes. And then we have a few attributes, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, and then praise of him, alhamdulillah, praise and gratitude due to him. Rabbil Alameen, the nourisher, cultivator of, of uh, all the worlds. Uh, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, most merciful, eternally merciful, and then master of the day of judgment. And then the second half gets more into who are we to him. First half is who is he to us. Second half is who are we to him. So you alone, we worship you alone, we ask for help. God is on a straight path. And, and if we take just a couple points um, that I want to repeat, uh, especially to think about, uh, the first is that whatever I think of God in my heart is going to influence and inform how I interpret what happens in my life. So if I see Allah as punisher, as my default, then I'm going to see a lot of things in my life as punishment. If I see Allah as abandoning me, then that's how I'm going to interpret many things that happen in my life. And so the prescription here is to see Allah as pouring mercy upon you. And uh, ultimately the goal is to see everything that happens to you, uh, easy or hard, as a manifestation of God's mercy. But that is easier said than done. That's the first point to think about. The second point is what, I, and this is what we discussed last week, what I think of Islam in my heart will inform how I practice it. So if I think of Islam the way the common Muslim does, which is this gigantic set of rules and ideas and such, it's going to be hard for me to practice it. Uh and here we're prescribed, think of it in the way you think of the idea of the straight path. It's the easiest path. It's the most direct path. Um, it is, it, 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 it's taking you straight towards a destination. And so try to imagine Islam the same way. Uh, and so you are controlling what you think of Allah and you are controlling what you think of Islam itself. And so now, uh, completing, now getting to newer-ish material. So we're saying guide us to the straight path. We spoke about this idea of straight path. But now we define it a couple ways. Number one, I, uh, the path of those whom you have favored. Number two, not of those on whom is anger. Number three, nor of those who are astray. So what is a favor? What is the difference between a favor and a payment, or a favor and a wage. How would you explain the difference? A favor is something given without any, like, any, like, need, or, like... Yeah, you're on the right track. You don't owe anything to the person who gave you the favor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you raise your hand? Oh, no, you're eating a falafel. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, a favor is something that's given to you unearned. And so we're saying, guide us on the path of those whom you have favored. Now we're going to define that a few different ways. Uh, go to Surah 4. Surah Nisa. And so Surah 4, look at Ayah 67, 68, and 69. Everybody there? 
Uh, I-67. You'll get there and chill. Here, 67? Yeah. <coughs> okay, so so you found it? Yeah. Yeah. And then we... we uh, wait, wait, wait. Uh, uh, wait for them to catch up with chill. 67, 69. Yeah. So Surta Nisa is 67. You found it? Okay, go ahead, read. And, and then we would have given them from us a great reward, and we would have guided them to a straight path. And whoever obeys Allah and the Messenger, those will be the ones upon whom Allah has bestowed favor of, of the prophets, and the steadfast affirmers of truth, the martyrs and the righteous, and excellent are those as companions. Okay. So, Allah Ta'ala is saying we would have given them a reward and we would guide them on the straight path. And now IS-67 is giving us a definition of the straight path. So, وَرَسُولَ So, whomever or whoever obeys Allah and His Messenger. So that is another way to define the straight path. Now, what are the consequences of being on the straight path? The consequence of being on the straight path is you will be one or more of these four people that are listed. Nabiyin, Siddiqin, Shuhada, Salihin. Nabiyin, uh, this is the, the prophets. Siddiqin, the common translation, is, but we'll go into it deeper, are the people who recognize truth. Shuhada, the marchers. And number four, Salihin, the people of truth or the upright. So it says, we will give them the favors and these four people. So Nabiyin are the prophets, peace be upon them. That is not an option for us. That's already done, right? That, that path is complete with the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. But these next three, Siddiqin. Uh, Abu Bakr is nicknamed Siddiq. Why is he called Siddiq? Like, where is he getting this title from? They're looking confused. Mm-hmm. So, uh, he's, so he's uh, one of the closest of the companions to the Prophet, peace be upon him. And some of it connects even to specific moments. So the Prophet Muhammad says, peace be upon him, that everybody who I called to Islam, everybody had questions first, but not Abu Bakr. He went straight in. He was fully Sorry? He was fully without questions. Yeah, without even questions. And another is that when the Prophet, peace be upon him, came back from the night journey, he is telling everyone this whole experience he happened in, had in the previous night where he went to Jerusalem, he went to hell, he went to heaven, met Allah directly. And, and some people went to Abu Bakr and they said, can you believe what your friend is saying now? And Abu Bakr said, if he said it, then it's true. And then he asked, what did he say? And then they explained the night journey. And he said, the Quran is more amazing than, than the night journey. Okay. I'm believing these words are coming from beyond the sky. That's more amazing than, than that. So what does it mean to be Siddiq? It means when you see the truth, you recognize it and you embrace it. That is Siddiq. Okay. So it's not just to be truthful, um, uh, but it is when you see the truth, you recognize it and you embrace it. So that is one consequence of being on the straight path and or one of the favors that comes from being on the straight path. Another is the shuhada, the witnesses. Why do we use this term shahid or shahada or shahid for people who are martyrs? Like how do we connect this idea of witness to Martyrdom. Are you raising your hand? Yeah. Isn't a martyrdom the ultimate expression of yeah? And so you are you are literally giving the ultimate thing you possess, which is your life. So you're bearing witness to the truth, literally, with your life. Meaning, you would rather give up your life than give up the truth. So, in simple language, this is someone who walks the walk. So. That's the second type of person. The third type of person is the Saleh. 
Saleh usually translates people who are upright and, and of good character. Saleh more accurately means someone whose character is so good, so strong, that people, when they're in the company of that person, their character improves. And so this is another consequence of being on the straight path, that you develop such strong character that people increase their own character when they're in your company. Now, how do we become one of these? Uh, the one answer is, okay, this is one of the functions of the whole Quran, that the whole Quran is going to explain what is the straight path and how to be on the straight path. But the simple answer is at the end of this ayah. And so what is this? How do you translate this? Yeah, or like these are, this is the, the best type of friend. Yeah. So one way to become uh, like these people is to put yourself in the company of these people. Okay. And, and so if you see people who are upright, put yourself in the company of the people who are upright. People who are practicing uh, uh, what they are claiming to believe, put yourself in the company of those people. People who are people of such truth that they're always seeking more refined truth then you put yourself in the company of those people. Okay, but now let's go back to Al-Fatiha at the beginning again. So go back to Surah 1. And another simple question while you're going back to, to Surah Al-Fatiha, uh, let's change the whole conversation because what often happens in these discussions on commentary, we are looking at steps 2, 3, and 4 and not looking at step 1. Simple question. Who is there in history who did not receive favors from Allah? Any favors from Allah? Who is there in history? Yeah. Yeah, nobody. What were you going to say? <laughs> but he definitely received a lot of favors, right? And so, so when we're saying to Allah, guide us on the path of those whom you have favored, we're already receiving so many favors. So the most simple question or the most simple search, what am I really looking for? Guide me to see the favors of my life. Now, if I truly see my life as favors, how am I going to respond? Gratitude. Gratitude. Mm -hmm. And that is the beginning of the surah. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. So what are we saying here is that at one level, this surah is a prayer for guidance. And what is the essence of that prayer? It's a prayer for gratitude. So every time you're reciting Al-Fatiha, you're praying and you're praying on behalf of yourself, the entire ummah, and you're praying for gratitude. That is the essence of the whole thing. And so what is the opposite of gratitude? Easy question. It's a really easy question. What is the opposite of gratitude? Ingratitude. Ingratitude. Okay, yeah. Rashid, every time Rashid's about to talk, he's like, okay, 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 fine, fine. Yeah, yeah. And so think of ingratitude as a form of anger. Okay. And so, so ingratitude is a fuel for someone to have jealousy. Ingratitude is a fuel for someone to have envy. These are all different types of anger. So we're saying, God is in the straight path, the path of those whom you have favored, not of those on whom is anger. If your translation says, not of those on whom is your anger, that is not a complete translation. غَيْرِ الْمَغْدُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ Or غَيْر other than مَغْدُوب Anger on them, عَلَيْهِمْ on them. Right? Now in terms of the rhetoric of the surah, you can still argue that the anger would be the anger of Allah Ta'ala. But we're saying just taking the words on its own is you don't want to be in the path of those who have anger on them. And how do you get anger? It's by ingratitude. So think of the metaphor of anger as being like fire and the metaphor of 
gratitude as being like water. That one of those two will exist in your heart, either anger or fire. One is going to win. So either the anger will be so hot, it's going to evaporate all the gratitude, all the water. Or the water will be enough that it's going to put out the fire of anger. Now there is proper anger. There's good anger, like righteous anger related to justice and such. Here we're talking more about what is happening to you in your life. And so one of the cores of the entire tradition is to see what Allah's giving you is mercy. And then through that mercy, seeing how much mercy he's putting in your life, and then responding to the mercy with gratitude. That sums up the entire tradition. Okay, so that finishes Al-Fatiha. And so we said the name Al-Fatiha usually is translated as the opening, better than that as the opener. And think of this as the flashlight through which to now look at the rest of the Quran. So now we're going to begin Al-Baqarah. So Al-Baqarah has, uh, uh, like Al-Fatiha, has numerous names. But simply put, what is the purpose of a name? Whether we're talking about a surah, or a person, or a book, or a country, what is the purpose of a name? Yeah, it's identification. The primary purpose of each of the names in the Quran is identification. So... We might think uh, from our general uh, culture that the name is telling us some hint about the, <coughs> the content of, of the surah. Sometimes that is obvious and sometimes not so much. Primary purpose of each of the names is identification. So al-Fatiha is also giving us a purpose of the surah. But al-Baqarah, the cow could be referring to this one event that happens about a quarter of the way into the surah and that may or may not give us a hint of the whole summary of the surah maybe yes maybe no but the primary name primary purpose of the name is just identification identification of a certain event happened in that surah maybe maybe not yeah and so so think of some of the other names of the surahs noon right what is that that doesn't tell us anything yeah and so uh, at the time of the Sahaba, may Allah be pleased with them, uh, often they would identify the surahs, uh, sometimes by the names, but often just by the first few ayahs. Just like if you ask a child, you know, did you memorize Surah Al-Ikhlas? The child will probably not know what you're talking about. What do you say? And then the child knows. Yeah. Okay, so now let me give you an overall structure of Surah Al-Baqarah. So Surah Al-Baqarah, this Surah Al-Baqarah, uh, has 286 ayahs. If you put that in, a, if you put that in your final paper, does that add to that? I don't understand. Like, so if I like if I copy this from my final paper, would you count that as being part of the paper, or is, <laughs> is it just too long to cite? Like for example, I want to cite and then I add the whole. Thing. Okay, so you have a friend who did that. <laughs> what did they do? They uh, for a final exam, they literally pasted the entire surah. Wow. I was like, the, well, I was like the entire thing. Yeah. Was, they were like, yeah, it was like, that's, well, what part of the paper is that? Like two thirds of the paper. Oh, it was far more than two thirds of the paper. The paper, the actual paper, was very short, so they were not happy with their grade. Okay. <laughs> yeah. okay. So in two hundred eighty-six ayahs, there's four key sections. The first section is ayah one through thirty-nine, and that is what we will, in our for our purposes, call the introduction. The second part is Ayah 40 through 123. You guys all are going to have this memorized? MashaAllah. Rashid is like, I already know all this. I grew up in Saudi, I grew up in Saudi Arabia. I already know all this. You know. And so the second part is Ayah 40 through 123. And that is the story of the Ummah of Musa, peace be upon him. The nation of Moses, peace be upon him. So 1 through 39 is the introduction. 40 to 123 is the Ummah of Musa, uh, Musa peace be upon him. Ayah 75 to 284 is the Ummah of Muhammad, peace be upon him. And then the last two ayahs, 285, 286, 
is the conclusion. So that's the overall structure of this surah. So our focus, of course, is going to start literally from, from the beginning of the surah and little by little go through. And uh, any questions about the structure? Do you all have it? Or do you want me to repeat it or anything? Yes? Okay, so the uh, second one is Ayah 40 to 123, and this is the nation of Moses, the Ummah of Musa. Yeah, they overlap. So from 75 to 123, it's going to be both. The Ummah of Musa, but but the Ummah of Muhammad is being addressed. So it'll be, so God is talking to the Ummah of Muhammad about the Ummah of Musa. Any other questions so far? Okay. So, let's go right from the beginning. So, this surah begins with Alif Lam Mim. So, tell me about Alif Lam Mim. First, what everyone says, no one knows what this means except for Allah. Done. Okay, now, what else? <laughs> tell me about Alif Lam Mim. Anything else? Just don't answer. Yeah. Okay. So, that's one of the questions. So these are disconnected letters, right? It's not making a word. If it was a word, what what is this word? Alif Lam Mim. Yeah. So what is that? So it's sort of uh, an interrogative. It's a question, or it's the beginning of a question. Uh, what about uh, forget the vowels? Uh, what word is spelled with Alif Lam Mim? Sorry, that's Ain. Yeah, you had this look like, I got it. I figured out the secret. Okay. So, Alif Lamim. Uh, what word? So, that's the, I think that's the root. What is the root of? Yes. Right? So, Adabun Alim. But that's not what this is either. Right? Yeah. This is not pain. So, <coughs> so, how do I know to pronounce this as Alif Lam Mim? Because even if you look at the writing, you have Alif, and then you have this Madda on top of Lam, this Madda on top of Mim. How do I know to pronounce this as Alif Lam Mim? Okay, and how do we know that? Were you there? What a, what a joy well, it would have been to be there. Yes. Aha. Uh-huh. So we pronounce this as Alif Lam Mim because we're taught to pronounce this as Alif Lam Mim by people who are taught to pronounce it this way, who were taught by people, who were taught by people, who were taught by people, going back to the Prophet, peace be upon him. So, so what we're saying is that we call this Tawqifi, that we do this, how and why? Because that's what the Prophet did. Done. And so, so what is the point here? One of the lessons, uh, one of the major aspects of our whole tradition is that everything is handed down person to person. So even particularly in Sunni Islam, how does Sunni Islam work? Why do we call it, what is the full name of Sunni Islam? What's the full name? Do you know? <laughs> MashaAllah. <laughs> what is Sunni short for? Short for uh, the way of the prophets. Uh, or in Arabic, you can tell us. Sunnah Jama'ah. Yeah, Ahl Sunnah Jama'ah. So, what does that translate as? Translate as the Ummah of the Prophets. Okay, very good. Inshallah, inshallah. Okay, yeah. Good thing that you're in class, mashallah. Right? You know. Okay, so. The family of uh, the Sunnah of the Prophets. The family so, of the teaching. Okay. You're getting there, you're getting there. Almost there, almost there. Okay, so what's Ahl? <laughs> well, it was like family or the people, yeah, yeah. okay? And then of Sunnah, Sunnah, Sunnah. And what's who? Who is the Jama'ah? The Jama'ah first is the Sahaba, okay. and then by extension the whole Ummah. So what are we saying here? That what is the fundamental difference between Sunni and Shia? Fundamental difference between Sunni and Shia is not who should have been the Khalifa, not who should have been the successor to the Prophet peace be upon him. Because in 2019, that's mostly irrelevant. It has a lot of meaning. Uh, but in, in the year 632, 
you didn't have Sunnis and Shias arguing, okay, it should have been Ali or not. I mean, these are arguments that came later. The difference is how do we learn about the Prophet in the Quran? Because Sunnis turn to the Prophet in the Quran, Shias turn to the Prophet in the Quran. And so Sunnis are saying, we learn about the Prophet in the Quran, peace be upon him, through the Sahaba, through the companions. And then from the Sahaba to the Tabi'in, from the companions to then those people who came after. And then from the Tabi'in to the Tabi Tabi'in, from, from those who came after the companions to those who came after them. So think of Sahaba as companions, the Tabi'in as successors to the companions, and Tabi Tabi'in, the successors to the successors to the companions. Why? Because there's a narration attributed to the Prophet, peace be upon him, where he says that the best of generations is my generation, then the one after them, then the one after them, and then it goes downhill from there. And so, but what is this setting up? This is also setting up a chain of transmission of knowledge. So, so yeah, when we're teaching it, we'll say, well, this is how the Prophet received it. But how do you know? Because you're learning from someone who learned from someone who learned from someone. An easier example of that is prayer. How did you learn how to pray? You got to remember all the way back. No, but who did someone teach you? Yeah. How'd you learn how to pray? Yeah, from your father. Right? And so ask just about it. Are you Muslim? You're learning right now? Okay, very good, good, good. All right. So ask just about any Muslim, how'd you learn how to pray? Maybe they start a little bit with a book or with an internet, with the internet or with a video, but how do you really learn how to pray? You're learning from someone else. And then they learned from someone else, and they learned from someone else, going all the way back to the Prophet, peace be upon him. And then you would think that, okay, all these centuries, because we don't have a central book on how to pray. It's not in the Quran. Then some people say it's not in the Quran, it's in the Hadith. But most people would not be able to tell you where, but it's all in pieces in the Hadith too. But the Prophet said, pray as you see me pray. And then that's how it's taught. But then what happens? You go on Hajj, and now you're with everybody from all across the globe, and everybody prays almost exactly the same way. Even the small differences uh, also get traced back to the Prophet, peace be upon him. Do I keep my hands like this or do I keep my hands like this? That also gets traced back to the Prophet. What's the difference? Uh, why do some people do this when they stand? Why do some people do this? Boy. So, in the Prophet's last prayer, he prayed like this. In almost all of his other prayers, he prayed like this. So, Shias and Malikis say, well, that was his last prayer. That was probably the most correct. So, we pray like that. But then, Hanafis and Shafis and others say, well, that's how he prayed. But we know that Ali, who's narrating this, he still prayed like this. So he probably prayed like this because he was so tired that, and he was near his death. But the point is he did pray both of those ways and they both get traced back to the Prophet. So the point I'm making is that one of the major aspects of our whole tradition is the person-to-person -person transmission. And so uh, one of the open miracles then of the whole tradition, for example, is the preservation of the recitation. If you take the oldest copies of the Quran, you know, um, they did not use those for recitation because when Uthman has compiled these and sent these around, he also sent reciters to every region. That's how you're learning how to recite the Quran. And then another of the open miracles is the preservation of the daily prayer. Especially, I think that's even more impressive because there's no manual. You are literally learning this person to person and go to uh, just about any mosque throughout the whole globe and you're going to see the same form. And you'll see some small details that are differences that are also traced back to the Prophet, peace be upon him. Okay, another way to look at Alif Lam Mim. So what I'm saying is one lesson to take from Alif Lam Mim is the reminder of this living tradition. Another way to look at Alif Lam Mim is that if I'm saying I don't know what this means, but Allah knows what this means, then I have begun 
to submit myself. I'm saying there's limits that I have that Allah does not have, that Allah is not limited by in terms of knowledge. So I've begun an act of submission. Another way to look at Alif Lam Mim, and this is a little bit, this will be a little bit more interesting. So uh, somebody read for us ayah number two in translation. Who wants to read it? There you go for it. This is a book about which there is no doubt, a guidance for those conscious of the Okay, so stop right there. So now let's go to, really briefly, let's go to the beginning of Surah 3, Ali Imran. And I'd like someone to read for us Ayahs 1 to 3. Or about, well, let's wait for, for, for Santiago and Rashidi to get there. One, uh, I, we'll start with Ayah 1. Of Ali Imran. Got it? Okay, why don't you read for us the translation of Ayahs 1, 2, and 3? Ayah Lamim, Allah, there is no deity except Him, the ever living, the sustainer of existence. He has sent down upon you, O Muhammad, the book in truth, confirming what was before it, and He revealed the Quran and the Gospel. Okay, stop right there. Gospel is not a good translation here. But anyway, let's go now to. Let's jump forward to, let's go to Surah Yunus, Surah 10. Right at the beginning, Yunus. Okay, why don't you read uh, ayah number one? These are the verses of the wise book. Okay, anybody notice any pattern after the disconnected letters? Let's go to the next surah, surah 11. Surah Hud. Okay. This is a book whose verses are perfected and then presented in detail from one who is wise and attentive. Okay. Anybody notice any pattern? They, they all, after saying these letters that we have known, they talk about how the book is... So after these disconnected letters, then what do we start learning about? We start learning about the book. Sorry? The book. Yep. Let's go to Surah 12. Yusuf, Yusuf yes. Okay, again talking about the book. So 29 surahs begin with these disconnected letters. And in almost every case... The next thing that's spoken about is the book. But there are a couple exceptions. For example, let's go to Surah 19, Maryam. Uh, but 29 begin with these disconnected letters, so about a third of all the surahs. Mm. Uh-huh. <laughs> do they laugh at everybody or do they just laugh at you? Well, so we're saying, I don't know what this means. Right. Allah knows. Right. So I don't even know if these are random or not random. Allah knows if they're random or not random. Could be, like, Could be yeah. Don't know. So, so what is, uh, tell us, uh, why don't you read us uh, at least the first two ayahs. <coughs> yeah. And then what happens here is, so Zachariah is making a prayer to Allah, you know, please give me a son. But there's no mention here of a book. That's mm-hmm. one exception. Let's look at another exception. Let's go to Surah 30. Okay. So, Alif Lam Mim, and then Ghulibat al-Rum. 
So the Romans have been defeated. The Byzantines have been defeated. Nothing about a book. So what are things that we can understand from this that... Uh, hold on. Um, I'm wondering if we should do just one more for fun. So we're on a roll. Okay, let's do another one. Okay, we'll do the next surah. Go to I-29, or surah 29, I'm sorry, Angabut. Okay, nothing about a book. So again, in most of the cases, we have mention of a book, but then we have all these examples of where a book is not uh, not being mentioned. And so, what do we have? We have the conquest uh, or the conquering uh, of the Romans. We have the mercy on Zachariah, and then this surah, for example, we have uh, the fact that you are going to be tested. Now, if we put all of this together, one way to look at this is that these disconnected letters uh, seem to have some relationship with the idea of a book, but there's exceptions. Okay. And now if we take that point a step further, what are we saying? That if we try to make all of these have the same point, for example, book, 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 and then the mercy that Zachariah received, one way to look at this is that the book is the mercy of God. And so one way God's mercy manifests is through the book. Another way the mercy manifests is in the answering of prayers, because that's what Zachariah is doing. Another way that mercy is manifesting is the way Allah makes history play out. And another way that mercy manifests is by us being hit with suffering. So, so how is suffering mercy? How would you answer that? Suffering mercy is because, like, when you suffer, you will find a way. Okay, so one, inshallah, is that if you keep taqwa, Allah will give you a way out, right? right? No matter what you're hit with, what struggle you're hit with, right. you're going to be given a, pass, uh, a passageway out of it. And what else is uh, uh, what else have benefits of suffering? So sins are taken away uh, when you're hit with suffering. You are being made stronger when you're being hit with suffering, and so we're saying suffering itself is also a rahma, a mercy. So these disconnected letters. Are, if we put it all together, we're saying these disconnected letters are part of the unknown. And often it is the unknown that frightens the people the most. And we're saying what is coming from the unknown? It is the rahmah, the mercy of Allah. And in one form, it's through revelation. Another form, it's through how life will play out or the history will play out. Another form will be uh, in the simple fact you will be hit with suffering but then also means you're going to be given ease another form is with the answering of prayers and so that's one common element between all of these but then why does this have alif lam mim this have alif lam ra why does this have noon why does this have hamim so there there are also theories and and so one of the theories is that when you see for example this letter at the beginning it usually has this content in the surah so alif usually means this, lam usually means this, mim usually means this, kaf usually means such and such. But Allah knows best. Taha is not a subject. Taha, what's, what's the I, I, uh, I mean, it is. It's too, because it's not a word. Yeah. Right? It's become a name. But, but yasin, same thing. It's not a word. Right? But it's become a name. Right? Yeah. Okay. Makes sense? So those are multiple different ways to understand or appreciate Alif Lam Mim. And another way, looking at it from going back to Surah 2 now, which is where we are, is, is Ayah 1 is so ambiguous, it's so vague, it's mysterious, but Ayah 2 is very clear and very categorical. So another thing about moving from the unknown to the known is we're moving from the hazy to the clear. 
an interesting thing uh, in the editions that you're looking at, do you see Arabic text there too? Yeah. Okay. Yours doesn't have Arabic text? Okay. Yours does? Yeah. Okay. Does yours have Arabic text? Okay. First thing I'd like you to look at for those who have the Arabic text is look for a set of three dots, two different sets of three dots. Mo'anaka. And if you see it in yours, show it to Kyle. They literally look like three dots, like this, and then another three dots. Like, do you see the Arabic? Do you see fihi? It'll be before and after fihi. See it? You saw it? So this is uh, one type of punctuation. And this form uh, means you stop either at the first of the three dots or you stop at the second. So we're saying this sentence is two sentences built into one based on where you stop. So I'll give you two readings. <clears throat> the first is, this is the book that has no doubt in it, semicolon. It is guidance for those who have and this thing that we're going to call taqwa. So the first one is, this is the book that has no doubt in it, semicolon. It is a guidance for those who have taqwa. Got it? Okay. Second reading, exact same words, changing the punctuation. This is the book, no doubt, semicolon. In it is guidance for those who have taqwa. So the first one was, this is the book that has no doubt in it. It is guidance for those who have taqwa. The second is, this is the book, no doubt. Welcome. In it is guidance for those who have taqwa. So what's the difference between the two readings? Uh, if you if you have your, your Quran apps, we're on Surah 2, right at the beginning, Ayah 2. Um, the first one is saying, there's not, no doubt within the book. Okay. The second is saying that this is the book, there is no, like, no doubt. Okay, so what's the difference? So you told me what they both say, so what's the difference? <laughs> Book as a whole? Yeah, so so, so so this the first one is basically speaking about the content of the book. The second is talking about the book itself. So one reading is there's no doubt within the book itself, and the second reading is there's no doubt about the book itself. And then the second half, in it is guidance for those who have taqwa. It is itself guidance for those who have taqwa. So literally we're saying it's two sentences with the same word just a, a shift in the punctuation okay so now let's talk about the pieces here <clears throat> what's doubt how would you define doubt students? sorry what do you have about your students i mean maybe some students but what's uh, what's uh, doubt how do you define it? so you're talking about what uh, a person possesses but what is it that you're saying i possess about some students uh-huh. Okay, so so it includes questioning, uh, perhaps without belief. What else? Uncertainty. Uncertainty is part of doubt. Yeah. What else? Think of doubt in this context as not standing in a stable place. This is doubt. So. Like a great book. Sorry. Like a great book. I don't understand. Let's stand in a certain place. Your great books all over the place. Okay. It's perfect for me to understand. MashaAllah. Okay. Okay. Very nice. Okay. So think of doubt that we might make relate to uncertainty or questioning. It's basically saying you're not standing on a firm place. You're not standing on a stable place. And so what is this ayah saying? It's saying that this kitab, this book, as well as its contents, are doubtless, absolutely firm. Okay. In multiple ways. Now, taqwa. So, what do your translations say at the very end of Ayah 2? So, what does yours say? Consciousness of God. Consciousness of God. What do you have? Same. Same? Mindful of God. Mindful of God? Okay. What do you have? 
Consciousness, okay. So taqwa literally means to shield yourself. And in this context, you're shielding yourself with Allah. And so in modern Arabic, in translating these things, a lot of times we'll say fear, but uh, uh, more accurately, it's shielding yourself with Allah. So we're saying this is the book or this is the prescription, no doubt, no doubt in it. It is and in it is guidance for those who have, who are shielding themselves with God. So to give more to a sense of what taqwa is, <clears throat> there's a famous conversation between two companions. Uh, one's asking the other, okay, define, try to explain what is taqwa. And so we have two answers that are recorded. Uh, one is, and both of them involved walking through a forest of thorns. One answer is that all you have to protect yourself is a very thin sheet, a very thin shroud. And you're walking through, holding this close to yourself to make it through so you don't get pricked by all the thorns. This act is the act of taqwa. Okay. Another, uh, using the same setting, is you're carefully looking at where you're stepping as you're walking across the forest. That is taqwa. So what is taqwa? It's being on guard. And thus you're shielding yourself. And so here we also have a statement about how life is designed to operate. And that is that life is going to keep hitting you with things. And if you remain on guard with your relationship with Allah, you will, inshallah, God willing, you will be okay. But you are going to be hit, and it's going to hurt. But overall, you will be okay. And so we're saying that is the nature of life, that you're going to be hit, but taqwa is to shield yourself. And so what's interesting is that this is saying this is guidance for those who have taqwa, not for those who want taqwa. So how do I get taqwa? Dun, dun, dun. So... This uh, so the so the Quran is a manual right from the start of two levels, how to get taqwa, and then for those who have taqwa, the deeper guidance of of the Quran. And I think this is a good place for us to stop right here, and then we'll continue inshallah next time. Any question about questions about any of this? Any questions about questions or questions about this? Questions about this. You know, you want to ask something. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you don't have to question just for the sake of a question. No, but, I have a question. Uh, what, um, so even with the name of Surah, where, where did the name of Surah come from? Uh, uh, most of the names came from the Prophet himself, peace be upon him. But if you look at an old copy of the Quran, you're not going to see the names there. Oh, really? Because that's part of the verbal preservation. And in many cases, the Prophet has given multiple names. Like Surah Al-Fatiha has many, many names. The most common being Al-Fatiha. Yeah. Um, another thing, so when you're in the Quran, there's always like these places where they where they have like oh like this is the prophet, and then they have like this is oh Muhammad. Yeah. Why is so um, in some cases when the text is speaking to the reader mm-hmm. um, in the singular, then a lot of times the translators will say you know, O Muhammad. But that's an interpretation on the part of the translators. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see examples of those early on in the surah as well. I'm not sure how many times this name is actually mentioned, but it's not too many. Mm-hmm. It's very few, but that's something we can find on Wikipedia or something. Yeah. yeah. So, Muttaqeen are the people with taqwa. Yeah. Yeah, good question. Other questions? So Moses is mentioned the most. You know, but how many times is Muhammad's name mentioned? 25 times? No, sorry. I don't think it's that much. It's less than even four or five. There's Ahmad. There's Ahmad. Sadiq. Ahmad. Muhammad, I mean, I mean, Surah Muhammad, but... And Nabi, and Ummi. 
But what about the name Muhammad? I don't think it's four times. Four times? Yeah. Can yeah. you tell us? What, uh, so one is in the context of Zaid. Okay. Right? Yeah. You know, in the Khatm and Nabiyin. Like, yeah, that's, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, what are all the ayahs? Uh, but there are description of him. Meaning, the whole surah, the whole Quran is about him. Right. Right? Even what we're reading today is about him. Right. Right. But there is like a certain, like, let's say, uh, message. Yeah, things like that. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of his name, okay. or that's something people can look up later, inshallah. Any other questions? Wait, so are the names or the names of each surah originally there? Were they part of the, res- the recitation? The names, or like was it written? Was it part of when it was written down? It so it was just part of the whole community of people reciting the. The surahs, meaning uh, the surah is the name is not technically part of the surah, but it was still used to identify it. Okay. Uh, Santiago, raise your hand. No, oh, okay, you keep stretching. Yeah. <laughs> Any other questions? Okay, we can stop right here. I'm sorry. Here you go. All trace back to the Prophet, peace be upon him. So it's like the same. Sorry? It's like the same thing with different Yeah. So the recitations are, are, I should say, the recitations in general are traced back to the Prophet, peace be upon him. That's harder to prove in writing mm-hmm. because it's all verbal. Mm. Right? So one will be قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ mm-hmm. Another will be قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ yeah. Right? Things like that. Malik and Malik will be two different. Now there, <coughs> there's different schools of recitation. There's also different schools of what we call أَحْرُف. Different words. But that's a whole conversation on its own that we have to have. Any other questions? All right, we'll stop right here. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfirka wa natubu ilayk. Wa akhir da'wana an alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin.